Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 65 to Boston Logan International Airport. Hey, who, who, who is that? Who do I have here? That's usually me that does that. Alex, is that you? No, no, no. This is, uh, this is his brother, Will, from Mastication Nation. Oh, you are the producer, executive producer, director, cinematographer, music director, orchestra man, and the caterer for the Los Angeles Attaché episode. You missed Snake Handler as well, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Will Hunter, thank you so much, Will, for being with us today. No problem. I mean, with us, with me, because your brother is not here. Is there a reason for that? I'll let you announce it. Yes, yeah. Uh, Alex is indisposed as uh, his wife, Deanne, gave birth to their third child and uh, first girl. And I'm not sure if you know this, but because it's all hunter boys, but we're going back through the lineage and this is going to be the first girl born into the hunter family in almost 150 years. Are you kidding me? No, we only oh have boys. God. Yeah, this is how special this girl, Juno, is. I no idea. Wow. Oh, that is. Wow. Yeah, we're looking wow. back through the records, but it looks like probably 1880 was the last girl. <laughs> My God. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm, Alex, I know, he doesn't know that we're recording this, actually. He will suddenly have an episode popping out on his Apple Podcast app and like, what's going on here? <laughs> Paul, what did you do? So congratulations, Alex. I mean, we already said it. It's uh, he put a picture of his, of Juno on Instagram. It's public. If you guys want to say hi to Alex, I think that's the best way because he's off Facebook, off everything. Mm-hmm. But I think he reads the comment of that picture. Cube Weller on Instagram. Uh, so Boston, why Boston? You chose that. I, I did choose Boston. There's, it's a little bit of a love hate with Boston. Um, I am married to a girl from the New England area, and we did the long distance thing all the way through college. I hope that's the love part and not the. Hate oh, part exactly. No, 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 no. It's, it's the, the love <laughs> conquered my hatred for this airport. It's such a terrible airport, but I endured. I, I used to go there every spring break, every summertime. You know, the, the benefit of it being a staff traveler, being a hunter, we all worked in the aviation industry. And I got to jump on standby flights constantly flying out to Boston. And so it really is a terrible airport, but it felt with the <laughs> current snowmageddon or snow bomb or whatever they're calling it in the East Coast right now, it was an entertaining airport to talk about. I haven't been forever in that airport. We actually covered that airport with Alex's point of view in episode, uh, what was it? Uh, 36 or 38. Uh, guys, just look it up. I remember though, not what we said about the airport, but I clearly remember it was the episode which uh, turned out to be a, a, a therapy for Alex because they just had announced Virgin America was bought by Alaska or uh. something. So I think that's a very uh, hard episode for uh, for Alex. Did you ever work at Virgin America? Because you said you were in the innovation industry. Did you work at the, the Starline or any other in the US? No, I never worked for Virgin America, but I worked for Virgin Mothership, Virgin Atlantic uh, when I was... 16 through 19, uh, oh no, 17 through 19, I used to work in the summertime, summer vacations uh, in the ticketing office at uh, the world headquarters are just outside of Gatwick. And I would go there, basically be a, a data processor for uh, three or four weeks at a time, take my money and then go travel the world. Um, so yeah, it's, oh, wow. uh, Virgin Atlantic and Uncle Richard have been very kind to the Hunter family. We've all worked there in some <laughs> capacity, I suppose. 
for those who don't know you, because they're not listening to Mastication Nation, which we'll get into in a minute. So you're based in California, yes. but that means that you used to be based in London. Yes, then? I've mentioned on, on Mastication Nation, go subscribe if you want to learn anything <laughs> about the culinary world uh, with the co-host Alex Hunter from this podcast. I used to go to boarding school in England and I went to university in England as well. So during the um, downtimes in the summertime before going off and visiting Kate, my wife, then girlfriend, or going down to visit my parents in South Africa, I would work. Uh, my dad was the, among other things, whilst back in the uh, headquarters, was basically head of operations for all the Virgin airports. So I used to catch a ride in with him, sit in the ticketing department. And then I doubt it's still the same way, but the aviation industry does innovate very slowly. As you create your ticket, it would try and automate the process and send you an email confirmation. But there's probably thousands upon thousands where there was something slightly wrong where it kick it to a real person like myself, where maybe the information was confusing. It couldn't find the right uh, zip code to put in. And I would double check that information and then process it. And then that would either oh, kick wow. out an email confirmation to the person or a physical hard ticket. And I would have to mail that out. Um, real mailroom stuff to get through university and, and high school. But uh, it gave me free access to international travel. So not a terrible wow. way. Well, I got it also <laughs> no. through my dad, but also I could get a slightly higher priority by working there as well. On Virgin flights or were you able at some point in your career and or through your family to do to have these kind of standby tickets with any other airlines? Yeah, just well? because my dad had worked for Cathay Pacific for so long. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we yeah, were able to take advantage of one world. Um, Virgin being at the time so standalone in its own little world of alliances, everyone so sort of as the little brother and kind of took care of you. Um, but you were the lowest of the low. I mean, I remember trying to get to the US one time and I got bumped off four flights to a point where I was like, just get me anything in the continental US and I'll figure it out from there. Uh, nobody wanted to give me the time <laughs> of day. And I've, I've sat on a million jump seats, a million love seats. You know, one time I've even sat in the cockpit well after 9-11. So I have no idea how that one got through, you know, that kind of stuff. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Since you mentioned little brother, uh, I know you are three brothers in total. Where do you stand in the, the order here? So I'm the youngest. Who's the oldest? Alex one? is the oldest. You're the, Alex yes, is the old man of the group. Yes. Uh, our brother Andrew, who also <laughs> lives in England, is the middle one. And then I'm the youngest um, by about five years. I'm seven years younger than Alex, but uh, uh, he doesn't patronize me too much. Um, <laughs> so yeah. But you made the better choice of uh, where to live because living in California now, you probably don't have any conception of what the snow is. No. or cold that we have. There's actually a leak in my house where I'm recording from today and I'm watching, you know, the ceiling getting damper and damper and browner and browner. <laughs> and I'm like, it's Sunday because we're recording today, Sunday 7th of January 2018. And uh, I so wish that I would be in California, maybe not for the wildfires, but I mean, what's the temperature there? It's so funny that you mentioned this because I got up this morning to let my dog out to and give him breakfast and stuff like that and open the door. And I'm just like, am I in London? It was about visibility was maybe 10 feet. It was so foggy. Oh, wow. I couldn't. I, and it's, <laughs> so it is warmer than it has been. It's probably right now in the low 40s. So that's what like single digits in Celsius. I've had to re-remember that whole system, Celsius and Fahrenheit, which is always fun. Um, <laughs> but it's something that I feel I've lost my winter coat. I used to live in Boston a long time ago and uh, I could handle the cold. And now if it gets anywhere close to freezing, I'm bundled up and not going outside. <laughs> I'm the opposite. 
actually. Since I've, of course, I was born in Switzerland, thus I'm used to the cold, but then I lived in different other places. And being London now, I, you know, I used to see Londoners and other people in the UK would see, guys, it's cold and you're in a t-shirt. Oh, yeah. Are you mad? And now I'm like that. I, I do that all the time. And my friends, I look at me and say, Paul, you're completely crazy. You're insane, bad shit. Or what? Well, you, you get used to it. So last question before we go to actually meet at the show. Do you still work in the aviation industry? What's your current? Not gig? at all. No, no, no. I've been out of the aviation industry for about 10 years, uh, although it is still a passion of mine. Currently, what I do is <laughs> there was a Reddit article which was explain in one sentence poorly what you do. And there was stuff like, <laughs> um, I am an emergency Uber driver. And then someone worked out that, that he was an ambulance driver. And so <laughs> my, my little teaser riddle was I make money putting something between you and what you love. No one got it. And what it was is um, I work for an ad serving company. So whenever you want to watch a video <laughs> or you know, you're watching your latest episode of Hulu or so Hulu, whatever it might be, and then a pre-roll ad runs first, my company is processing that and ad serving that. So yes, we make money on your tedium and your annoyance of pre-roll advertising. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, please do not use uh, ad blocking software to listen to this. Exactly. <laughs> you're literally taking money out of my pocket when you do that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the first episode of 2018. So we should have started by that. Uh, happy, happy New, New Year. Year. Yes, well, to you too. <laughs> happy New Year, everyone. The, 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 the news that pretty much everybody talked about for many, many reasons, 2017 was the safest year in aviation for jet aviation, so not props, turbo props, but for jet aviation, not a single crash, which is good news. Of course, when that news came out, people were like starting some, you know, the usual nitpicking that you find that some people, oh, there's a, this freighter. Mm -hmm. No, it's not freighter. We're talking a passenger airplanes. But of course, the big one was when our friend uh, and your president, uh, Donald J. Trump, said that uh, it was thanks to him. So that was a bit funny. I mean, I'm, we're not here to do politics, but well, <laughs> I mean, yes, I donated to... Um, <laughs> an education charity last year. And apparently I've solved uh, literacy in America. So that's... <laughs> Thank you so exactly much Exactly, about as le the level of uh, impact I can see that uh, can be correlated to the aviation industry. But still, it's, it's, it's actually a pretty cool news. Not that he tweeted that, and he tweets a lot, as we know, but that the fact that it was not a single crash. I read an article that said the chances of a plane being involved in a fatal crash is now one in 16 million. Wow. It's pretty, uh, pretty, yeah, yeah, it's pretty low. Of course, again, these statistics have to be taken by a grain of salt because depending on how you calculate, is it, you know, people say, for instance, that taking a car or an elevator can be more risky than being in a plane. The thing is then if you ask how many times you actually take an elevator versus how many times you actually mm -hmm. take a plane, these statistics are not as uh, valid anymore. But anyway, it's still a very safe way. And we are very happy that there was not a single crash. I had one remark. I'm not going to do any shout outs because a lot of people would say, Oh, thank you, Paul and Alex for such a great show. And Alex is not on the show. And I would feel like, you know, it's like talking about how much of a great kisser your ex was in front of your new partner. Yeah. Your current. Yeah. So I'm no, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do any shout outs once you're with me, but I had one remark that uh, bugged me for the last episode. You know, last episode was St. Petersburg. Have you ever been to St. Petersburg yourself? No, no, I've never been to Russia. The airport was LED and everybody piled on me says, Paul, you were doing a Christmas show. The airport was called LED and none of you guys, whether it's me, Alex, took any pun with the LED. Yeah, well, we, we suck. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> Winter, the thing that happened at Christmas, I had chocolate, I had way too much chocolate. Chocolate brown lavatories airplane. Oh, oh no. my God. I'm sorry. That, that was a really bad transition. But <laughs> 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 what 
did you did you read that story? I will. I, I did read this story, and only in um, only in the U.S. This, or, I mean, this probably happens in other countries, but we have a fantastically oversaturated media. Um, and so <laughs> I saw this article, and I was about to tweet it to you guys uh, on the layovers Twitter, right as you posted it yourself. But um, did you have any fi- any details on what why this happened or what occurred? Yeah, so this, uh, it's, first it was United. United cannot catch a break. I mean, so it, no. it has nothing to do with United in that instance, actually. It was a flight from uh, Chicago to Hong Kong. A passenger went to a whole commotion, probably in, uh, mentally unstable, because honestly, in that case, I don't know what happened to him, and started going in two lavatories, not one, but two lavatories, and began starting spreading all this shit, sorry to use that word, all around the lavatory, and even tried to flush his own shirt down the toilet. Of course, he was stopped by the crew when all this commotion was happening. They had to divert the flight to Anchorage, I think. So the guy was arrested, obviously, but he was not charged uh, because, again, they thought that he was probably unstable. And I love there's one line from one official, maybe, I don't know, Anchorage police or something that says, we don't think it's an act of terrorism. I'm like, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Chemical warfare. (laughs) (laughs) But... United cannot catch a break. Did you fly United when you were doing your back and forth to Boston? Which airline were you flying mostly? Virgin, um, okay. just because we had access to it. But occasionally United, if I got bumped around. Occasionally British Airways as well, if I was if I was kind of lucky. But um, Virgin was the number one. They did fly fairly frequently from London to Boston, and it was just helpful. Actually, I kind of have a funny uh, anecdote about that. Um, one time I was flying back from Boston to London, and my wife was going going to study at the University of Rome for about six months. Um, and so she flew to London with me and then she flew down to Rome after that. And I was standby and she had a paid for ticket. And um, I was a little nervous about the fact that I was probably going to get bumped and she would get to London and you know have no one there to meet her. I get a ticket. I get checked in. I get a standby ticket. I go through to uh, the airside with her. And then all of a sudden over the PA, it says, can Mr. Hunter please come to the check-in desk? And I'm uh, sorry, the, the the gate, sorry. And I was just like, oh no, this is going to end badly. <laughs> they uh, they ask for my ticket, my standby ticket. And then they look at it and they ask for my wife's uh, ticket and look at it. I'm like, what's going on now? And they hand me my ticket back, and it's uh, a first class ticket, or it's upper class ticket because it's it's Virgin, Virgin, yeah. uh, Virgin. And I was like, okay, well, I feel bad. I'm just going to give this to Kate because she's never flown in a premium cabin at all. And then two seconds later, they hand her a oh, wow. upper class ticket, oh, and uh, nice. we actually got diverted to Shannon because of a medical emergency. She was <laughs> the only person on the entire plane that was happy about that because we got a couple <laughs> extra hours on the, in in upper class. <laughs> well, when if it's your first time, to be honest. Honest, I will always remember my first time. It was less than ten years ago, and your first time—I mean, it was—it's—it's it's memorable. So you always wish, like, hey, Captain, can you do like a little detour or something? I just want to see yeah, one more movie, yeah. a little bit more red wine or something. At least I had, <laughs> our diversion was uh, less intense than than this United flight. <laughs> the other thing that people told about the last episode, I talked a lot about United, and the, the, the one thing I didn't mention, which is one of the staple, which is why I just ask you, Will, if you were flying United. The staple of United is obviously the Sunday, the, the the ice cream that you get on board that you can't get on board. Most people were like, "Paul, you flew United to the US and back and didn't have any ice cream. We didn't talk about it." No, I did have the ice cream on the way there. It's true that it's a staple. 
I mean, let's not kid ourselves. He's probably not the best ice cream I've ever had in my life, but it, it is something nice. I mean, people bash United and I do, I'm the first one to do that from time to time, to be frankly honest, but this is something, it's simple, but this is really cool. So, have you tried the ice cream from no. United? Oh, no. What? Come and, on. And I have I have not. And and uh, I, a couple of people have mentioned it, I think, on both the Mastication Nation Twitter and and your own that we should do a crossover episode where we talk about um, aviation food and travel food in general. We do have, because we work through alphabetically, we've just done um J episode for Jam. Ice cream was uh, 009. I love that episode. I, Perfect. That's the one we talked about, ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we did. We had a whole episode about ice cream. Cream, but I was thinking because um, we're only a couple episodes away from L, and L could be layovers. Uh, oh. And then we could do a crossover that way and talk about it. But I've never had their ice cream. I've had, um, who was it? I think it was Cathay Pacific, used to come by with very nice, it was either Hargan Dawes or one of the other big uh, international ice cream companies in the later parts of an evening flight. And I always used to love that. Always wonderful. I mean, I try to pay attention to what I eat in the plane because I can overeat very very easily because you know you're bored and it's a long flight and la 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 but the ice cream was a uh, the, the the way they presented it as it was a nice touch it was not just you know the the cup i mean again not big deal but yes guys because i've received so many emails and messages and twitter messages yes the ice cream was good yes i should have <laughs> talked about it and i promise you we'll talk more about there was so <laughs> much stuff i wanted to say about the united flight but i was getting Alex was getting to the point I was looking because we look at each other like now with Will on the camera and I was looking at Alex. I've been talking with, for, about United for 20 minutes and Alex was uh, buzzing off or something. I was like, <laughs> to switch topics. So I'm going to go back to United. I, I promise you that. Since color white uh, from, of course, Sunday vanilla ice cream to snow. You mentioned it at the opening, the show, the, 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 the blizzard, the snow capolics or whatever. We had one in London and everybody's making fun of Lalanithro, which, you know, deservedly because some of the stuff, you know, there was barely like an inch, like not even an inch, a tenth of an inch of snow and the whole airport broke down. But it seems that JFK, especially in the over the East Coast, is uh, it's getting better now on Sunday. But it was a big, big, big disaster. I mean, you probably heard that all over the news in the US. Yeah. Right? They, so they're calling a, a, a cyclone bomb, a snow bomb. They come up with these new terms, and I'm sure this one <laughs> means something, but I can't tell the difference. Uh, I think it was more to do with the fact that, yes, this the snow is coming in, but the temperatures are ridiculous, that they're so cold. And we had our in-laws... Uh, from the East Coast staying with us over the holiday, over Christmas period. And they were supposed to fly back Thursday, but they moved their flight back to Wednesday morning so they could avoid this because they were flying back to Boston. And oh, wow. we were looking at the temperatures and on Saturday, it was supposed to hit minus 20 degrees Celsius. I mean, what? if you don't know how to deal with it, that's going to shut down any airport. Um, yeah. And that's what it comes down to is, um, so caveat, backing up a little bit, I used to work for the Discovery Channel, Discovery Digital Networks, which was their digital arm of that. And so in our office, we had the Discovery News guys. And whenever anything was going on in the world, I would just go downstairs and be like, hey, Trace, who was one of the hosts, explain this to me like I'm five. And you know, he would be able to explain it to me. And he explained de-icing to me one time. And I'm just like, oh, okay. So it's not that the, the reason that airports shut down is usually because they don't have access to enough de-icing trucks as opposed to like they're just not set up to handle that level of cold. It's surprising how well a plane can fly 
in very, very cold temperatures, because think about how cold it is when they're up in the air. Uh, it's just getting them yeah, off really. the ground to begin with is the problem. <laughs> yeah, plus, again, it, when we talk about probably airports in Canada or airports in Northern Europe, mm -hmm. they have these kind of conditions, maybe not all year long, but at least, you know, four to six months a year. Whereas in New York, although already very north, it might not be the case that it's all the time. So this is really like once, and you know, that's why we talk about it. Otherwise, the, the airport would be used to it. Yes. But it was, it was actually quite interesting because there have been other blizzards that have, uh, you know, crippled the East Coast uh, uh, airports. But this one seemed to have had, especially in JFK, because it was a, a multitude of little things happening at the same time. There's been a, a little fire. Uh, there were as well uh, this uh, Kuwait Airways uh, plane that was clipped by uh, China Southern. There were both 777s. And, you know, again, so, so many airplanes are on the tarmac. And I guess, you know, again, human errors, mm -hmm. one less gate to accommodate passenger, more commotion. They went, and that's actually quite extraordinary. They, they diverted flight back. There were flights that were flying to JFK that had to divert back. There was uh, a flight from Moscow, an Aeroflot. I think it was 122. I think I saw that on flight radar 24. That over Iceland had to suddenly decided their JFK couldn't accommodate it. I think an Air France one happened the same. And it was one, this A380 from Emirates. Of course, Dubai being so much further, you know, they couldn't just go back. So they flew, I think, first to Pittsburgh and then they landed to Pittsburgh and then they flew to Dallas and they landed to Dallas. And then, wow, they were, last I heard, on their, on their way to JFK because now it seems to be better. They had up to three A380s from Emirates on the ground at JFK. That never happened. Aeroflot had two Aeroflot flights named 100 at the same time, which never happened. It shouldn't have two flights with the same call sign at the same time on the ground or actually, and it happened because there were so much delay. So it was a bit of a chaos. It seems to be going better, but people were obviously, if you're going on Snapchat or anywhere else, and people were like complaining about commotion, commotion. Port authorities said they will investigate whether there's been, you know, mistakes and la la la. The one of the biggest problem was actually luggage delivery. Yeah. <laughs> there were like up to six hours of wait for luggages. So you've already, you, you land if you had a gate and not return back, already waiting up to seven hours on the ground without a gate. And then, of course, when you get to the terminal, you're finally there, you're happy, and then you have to wait up to six hours for luggage. You must have been really hard, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of crazy that it seems like everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong to make yeah. it worse. Yeah. Um, because you'd think yeah. that somewhere like JFK would at least be a little bit more able to handle something like this kind of blizzard. Um, I was in Seattle in December, and they had snow for the first time in forever in downtown Seattle, which is out at sea level. Oh, wow. And that, that freaked yeah. them all out. And I was flying back the day it snowed. And you run into those issues that you don't really think about. It wasn't that the planes couldn't take off. It's that the planes were all being diverted so that when the snow was falling, there was just no metal to get people out. So there was just people lined up sitting on the floor and all the terminals just waiting for a plane to go anywhere. It was more, and I had a friend flying from LA to Seattle that day, and they couldn't get to Seattle for like about 12 hours whilst everyone was getting out quite easily. It was just getting into those scenarios. They just didn't know how to deal with it and how to get those planes there in time. Airports always try to tell to people, do not, or airlines, do not come to the airport. Yeah. But we know that not a majority, but a certain number of people would do it. And I get it. Why? Because they say, maybe I get a chance. I really need to get there tomorrow. Uh, I'm a freaking flyer. I deserve to be on the next mm -hmm. flight or something. And you will get there and you will 
you know, add more and more and more and more people in the airport, and that creates even more commotion. And uh, it, thank God it's getting resolved. But you must have been uh, so. You, and you mentioned the, the story that your in-laws were smart enough to <laughs> change their flight to avoid this. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was petitioning uh, Southwest because they were actually they were flying via Chicago, and he was petitioning Southwest to, to allow him to change a couple days before he could see the storm coming. And he was calling them, and they were like, "Oh yeah, sure, we can change your flight. That'll be an extra five hundred and fifty dollars." And he was like, "No, this is a travel <laughs> advisory." And then he waited another 12 hours, and then he finally got a response from Southwest saying, yeah, we'll change it for you. Don't worry about it. But it's kind of crazy how you know he was trying to be proactive about it, and they were trying to penalize him for that. I just said that uh, there were issues with luggage. Like, again, it happens a lot when you have this sort of chaos. Did you work at ground handling at Heathrow, Yes. Right? So I, um, I did a, it's a pr- something that really doesn't exist in this country in the US, but is fairly common throughout Europe and the Commonwealth, uh, a graduate program. For some reason, it doesn't really exist in the US, not, or maybe I'm just not aware of it. So after college, after a couple of years, maybe two years after college, I went and did one for, it's now called Donata. You'll see them all on the ground at Heathrow. You'll definitely see them in, in Dubai. They are the ground handling and operations company owned by the Emirates Group. And so my role there was to go through each and every single department there and do your classic sort of figure out how we can improve efficiency and learn the, the skills and then figure out how we move forward into the next year. And so I got a great crash course in cargo, in logistics, in the, the food processing, you know, getting people off the planes when there isn't a gate available, all that fun stuff. And some of their clients were obviously Emirates, Cathay Pacific, Virgin Atlantic, Qantas. Um, I couldn't tell you who they still represent, but I'm sure at least a few of those are, are still their big players. Were you able since to forgive, you know, mistakes more when you are in the flight and say, you know, I know what these guys are going through, thus I'm not going to be like outraged because my luggage <laughs> is not here or because we don't have a gate or because can you can you empathize more because you've done that? Um, do you know the term never see how the sausage is made? <laughs> yeah. Like never look behind the curtain. Um, unfortunately, I, <laughs> look, my dad, this was my dad's industry for, you know, 20, 30 years. He was ground transportation at some of the busiest airports in the world, Hong Kong, both the, the new and the old Hong Kong, Johannesburg, and a couple other places as well. Um, yeah, most notably and most recently Angola, which was fun. Um, but <laughs> the uh, So I knew how it worked and I knew the level of professionalism my dad had to this process. And like, I think one of his things was like, from touchdown to getting your bags should never take more than 15 minutes at Hong Kong. That was the goal he was trying to hit. That was something that I always had in the back of my mind. So working in ground handling, I knew a lot of it. They are very, very deadly serious about what they do, but don't be surprised that they need to blow off steam. It is a very high stress environment. And so there's a, it's kind of like working in an oil rig. It's very, very sort of foul language, but they're very good at their jobs. But the thing that I understood the most, and I'm not sure if it's still valued, but the first thing I had to do, I had to take a counterterrorism course oh, even wow. before I started. Like wow. I had to understand how to spot um, legitimate threats how to understand um, how we process cargo for it to not be. um, So there's three ways that they test cargo before flights that are not just normal luggage to make sure that it's completely safe. The probably most straightforward is they'll put it into a pressurized um, container, simulate the ascent and descent of a plane, see what happens there. That way, if it's something that is pressure sensitive, they'll know, and then they can send it off. 
If anyone is like, this has to be there on a certain date, they'll delay it because it might be a timer. I'm sorry if this is depressing on anyone who's flying. No, no, no. It's interesting. It's fascinating on the contrary. um, And so like the the timer obviously makes sense. If someone's adamant and needs to fly on a certain date, then that can set off red flags and you just hold it for a little bit. You can throw some customs things in their way. And then the one I thought that was the most interesting and, and I spent a lot of time with these guys was they would wrap a pallet in um, cling film and, and you know saran wrap, whatever you want to call it, for a certain amount of time, and then stick a needle, a syringe in there, and pull out um, the air, and then get sniffer dogs to process the air. And then because wow. you are concentrating the air that's in there, and they'd be able to smell if there's anything that there shouldn't be Good, in there. So those are the three ways that we would test your cargo before it got onto the plane. Um, wow. But then you would have like the, we'd be in the cargo hold, and we would li- watch. You think, oh, it's just someone shipping luggage or it's someone shipping their home from one place to another. 90% of what's under your feet is making a lot of money for those airlines. It's like, so it's a lot of like produce. Um, and Cathay Pacific specifically was, I yeah. remember there being pallets upon pallets of champagne and lobster. Because uh, <laughs> it was going, it was coming from Paris or it was coming from France. And for some reason, they got a better deal out of London. So they were shipping it to London and then flying it from Heathrow to Hong Kong. So it was like all this Dom Perignon and lobster. And I was like, <laughs> okay, this is, this is kind of interesting. Uh, we had a couple of first generation Teslas and like the high performance cars we had to load on as well. That was fun because everyone wanted to take their photos with them. But yeah, the, the, the ground transportation <laughs> side of it is uh, is something you don't think about, but you just expect it to work. But it's like a small army. It, it must be because like you said, there's only the threats, but the efficiency of it and the imperatives of the business. As a passenger, the only side you really see uh, as a human side of it is a dispatcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see that person running around, especially when a plane might be late or delayed, and you see that person trying to make everything fit together, especially at busy airports. Again, Ethro, and I know not all the airports work that same way, but Ethro has a system of also penalties. So the ground handling company and the airline get a penalty if they stay for too long at the gate. Mm-hmm. So they have to get the hell out of it. So yeah. the dispatcher's role is to make sure that everything is coordinated, the luggage is in, the cargo that the, this, this plane might have is in, the passengers is in, everything, in, and it has to take off and leave because otherwise Ethro would make you pay for it. And I know other airports work like that. It's not all the airports in the world, but I mean, enhancing your point about being a, a very high stress environment, you have to get things done fast. Yeah. And I, like there's there's the human aspect of it as well, because you're thinking of each piece of cargo as just, you know, numbers on a spreadsheet, but they also did the live animal transportations. And, and there's oh, yeah. a little known fact that you cannot have a dog in the same hold or a lot of people won't even do on the same flight as a body. So they, we did a lot of repatriation of people who died in other countries needed to get back to wherever. Um, and so that was a very specific process that you had to go through, but dogs can sense it and they freak out. And so you have to be very, very aware of, of those kind of things that are not just, it's not Tetris. It's not like, you know, I need to take up <laughs> as much space as possible. Um, it's thinking about the emotional impact of some of this stuff as well. In my many years of traveling around because they move places, you know, like uh, homes mm-hmm. and uh, so I had stuff shipped by airplane. So thank you, Will. And I had also my cats shipped by airplane. <laughs> so thank you, Will. Although maybe I not have been you, but I mean, it's the things you don't always realize as a passenger. Hence my question at the beginning and my stance, you have to empathize because sometimes you get like pissed off because something is delayed or whatever. And it's such a machine behind it. And it's 
people don't always just make decisions to piss you off. They make yeah, decisions because the person they want that you to you're yelling at is like unlikely to be the person that caused or can fix your problem. I'm going to still send you messages when I'm pissed <laughs> off at something. No, I'm kidding. I, I haven't been in that industry for, like I said, almost 10 years, but I still <laughs> I still look out the window and know knowingly what's going on out there. Uh, well, you're two brothers. We said uh, Alex and you, and uh, there's a third one, but there's a story about two brothers it was all over social media because this famous person that I had no idea, but it shows that I'm really old, uh, Chrissy Teigen, uh, some US pop star or something. And of course, like everybody's now is going to tell me this. She's not a pop star. She's married else. to uh, John Legend, the musician. Oh, yeah. I know him. Yes. Okay, fine. So I know. The, so she was taking a flight from LAX to, I think it was Narita. It was ANA. So it was the, the Japanese airline. It was just before Christmas, I think. She was going there for, for probably for the holidays. And four hours and 50 minutes into the flight, out of an 11-hour flight, the pilot decided to come back, this time not for snow reasons as in uh, JFK lately, but because they realized they had an unauthorized passenger on board, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. The number of checks you have to go through just to board a plane, uh, they make sure it's you, you know, we have TSA, et cetera, et cetera. They had someone that was not supposed to be here. Chrissy was on the flight and tweeting about the ordeal and it's unacceptable. I mean, whatever. The interesting bit, the two brother thing is that we learned since then that it was actually a willful, willful, no, yeah. no, that's a very <laughs> bad pun here. <laughs> you know, you must have heard this one all your life. <laughs> oh yeah. Where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, two brothers that had a very similar name. One was booked on ANA, the other was booked on United. So the other brother was supposed to go to Tokyo from LAX on a United flight. For some reason that we don't know, the brother decided they wanted to fly together. They did a, a copy of the boarding pass. So they had twice the same boarding pass, but apparently their first names, which were not released, must have been close enough so that, you know, when you don't pay attention, you just compare quickly the boarding pass with the, the passport. Mm -hmm. And the two were allowed in the plane. I don't know how it worked for the seat thing because they probably had also the name seat number. Probably it was an extra, you know, seat somewhere. Was it after four hours and 50 minutes, was it because they realized there was not enough food and, you know, there must have been something that triggered, but they, hmm. they reverted back to LAX because it was before the mid-flight, but also probably because it was a problem with LAX and the captain decided that it was American authorities that had to decide what to do with the individuals and also what to do probably with the whole, you know, administrative fine because there will be fines maybe to the airline, maybe to the, the ground staff, and probably a criminal charges to the two brothers. It's pretty staggering that you would have just to do a copy of a boarding pass. Yeah, that, that does seem strange. In my head, while you were talking about that, I was thinking about um, Home Alone 2. <laughs> uh, when they're running late for the yeah, plane, yeah, 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 yeah. they run into the, 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 the ticketing agent and their boarding passes go flying and they just let mm -hmm. uh, Kevin McAllister onto the plane to New York by accident. Um, so, unless it was Macaulay Culkin uh, <laughs> and his brother, um, who does have a fairly similar name, I think, it, it seems like that's willful willful deception by by the passengers so they'll probably yeah. get in a lot more yeah. trouble than anyone else however it should have been caught by somebody i i'm interested to see what they turned back on um what the reasoning they took turned back on was it that again they just don't want to deal with the storm that they're going to get when they land it, it, they could have been like unless unless the guy was drawing attention to himself like just land and be like okay deal with it when you get there but um it seems like ana did not want to 
go down that no, path. No, I didn't want to. I, I assume that what happened in LAX is that the first brother comes in with a passport, checks in, or which, whichever brother was. The second goes, maybe, of course, not right after, separately. And even if the machine says, maybe, you know, it happens sometimes that, you know, I, that's clearly probably a mistake from the ground staff. But the ground staff might have thought, oh, mm, this is strange. This passenger is already registered as someone was in the flight, but I have him in front of, of me. He clearly mm-hmm. has a passport with the same name. Again, probably their names are very, very close together. And he or she decided to say, oh, well, there was a mistake in the, the software. So here you go. Please get in, sir. Right? It must have been something like that. But it's still crazy that it would have uh, have happened. I don't think it was a a case of terrorism, etc. It was really a case of two brothers maybe probably wanted to fly together, but they're still stupid because you shouldn't do you shouldn't do that. And it, yeah, and it reminded me of um, there's the uh, travel writer Bill Bryson. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He he told a story back in the day about how he was trying to convince a very unenthused uh, American Airlines um, ticketing person that Bill is short for William. So his <laughs> yeah. ticket said Bill Bryson. However, his uh, passport or his driver's license said William Bryson. And they were like, well, it doesn't say the same thing. Therefore, you can't. And this was back in the 90s. So, uh, you know, he was a little bit more irate than we can be these days. These days, you wouldn't have, you know, you would have made sure they match up. But stuff like that is why these issues arise. Like if I, I can go by Will, I could go by Bill, I could go by Billy, and it would say William on my passport. You know, that's how these kind of things happen. And we are, because the the old system was made, I'm going to use Western for Western people. When you think, I have so many friends in China or in Indonesia, or sometimes they have a name. They don't have a la- something like a last name. They just have a name, and mm-hmm. they had to kind of figure out last name. And also then you have, and I've, I've seen that many times, uh, friends of mine working in the aviation travel industry in general, they say, you know, surname. And people, is it surname? Is it the first or the last? And what is the first or the last? Again, for us, it seems very evident because the system was clearly made for us. But if you think, think about other cultures and other names, sometimes it doesn't make any sort of sense. And it's, yeah, it's- any of the Scandinavians, there's only four last names. Like it's Paul Paulson <laughs> uh, or Eric Erickson. Like, so that can get really confusing. Yeah, really, it, it is really, co- even for me. I mean, I have a, a, a middle name. Which is not because, uh, you know, I use my Swiss passport and Swiss passports do not have a middle name section. So my middle name is attached to my first name. I've seen after years of years of traveling that unless it's the US, we are, we are very stringent about it. And I get why I never actually put my middle name and it goes. If in the US, I forget to book my ticket with my middle, middle name, I will have the, oh, but your name doesn't match where your passport thingy, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it yeah. is sometimes it's not as evident. I'm not here. We're not talking about these brothers anymore, but saying it's, it's not always easy, I guess, for people. And I'm really not the more complex names. I mean, if you have really complicated, like Asian names, Chinese names, or it must be really sometimes not. Well, they also have. They also have when you're when you're booking on most flight uh, airlines, and just because I've been flying domestically so much, I forget if it's still on the international airlines. But there's the there's otherwise known as sections when you're booking your flight to to run through the system because they need to know in these sort of scenarios, but also about. Maybe eight years ago, someone with a name very similar to me was on a no-fly list, and I was getting flagged constantly. Wow! Uh, And so, like, I had to like, no, that's not me. My middle name is Grant. You know, this is not me. Um, And so, just putting as much information in there as possible will save you those kind of annoyances. 
I was always getting flagged and had to go talk to a special person in a small room. So I, I, I don't know if the whole last name in no-fly links can get you all riled up. Sometimes it, it can be. There's so many reasons why we can be all riled up when we, we fly. Uh, and probably the, the people that were on the ground at JFK for hours and hours with no end in sight, but some of them must have been right. But this story... <laughs> Uh, which happened, and you corrected me before we started recording, in Malaga, in Spain. Uh, there's this uh, person who flew from London, Stansted. The flight was, uh, I think it was easy, Ryanair. Uh, and yep. the flight was didn't have a gate, probably. It had to stay on the tarmac for uh, an hour uh, with, uh, again, no end in sight, apparently. And this person who was sitting next to the emergency exit on the wing simply decided to open that uh, uh, window and just went and sat on the wing. Yeah. This is insane. <laughs> I, I wanted to know his thought process and I read it through. I read the article um, and he was just like, all right, I'm done with this. Took his hand luggage with him. He was like, I think he actually thought he was going to get away with it rather than like being a little unstable and like opening the door just to get out and get fresh air. He took his luggage like, all right, this is a way that we get out of the plane now. Like, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what? Of course, don't do that. Of course, it's illegal. Of course, it's bad. But I have a hench that there's, there's a few people listening to this show that sometimes after being, you know, clogged in a plane for three hours with no any size would have wished to do that. Like, I should just open the damn door and leave that plane now. <laughs> Wasn't there a flight attendant a few years ago who quit and then pulled the um, emergency slide whilst on the runway? I think so, yeah. I can't did. remember. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it was US, but I'm sure your listeners will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but he was like, I'm done. I quit. I opened the door, pulled the slide. And uh, that's a federal offense. So I think he apologized and got away with it. But yeah, don't do that. I'm sure it also cost the airline to actually simply refit the door. You cannot just, you know, put it back. It's not like a car door when you just close it. And uh, there, there we go. No, it's the equivalent <laughs> of the airbags going off. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you have, I mean, we mentioned, uh, of course, Boston, which we'll talk at the end of the show. But do you have an airport you really dislike or hate? That's a strong word. In the world? <laughs> well, I mean, Boston is one of those airlines. <laughs> uh, airports, sorry. <laughs> there are airports that I dislike like because they're not efficient. I used to feel this way about LAX, but after the most recent recording, sorry, the, the attache episode we did back in July, I feel like they've really stepped up their game. I used to have to fly down to um, LA every couple months when I was working for the Discovery Channel. My actual job was in one way or another, I was a talent manager for YouTube stars. Um, oh, wow. And so I had to go down there and make sure that they're 14 year old living in a mom's basement on Twitch, <laughs> we're still making, you know, millions of dollars a year. Uh, no, I actually worked with more, more upstanding people in the education and uh, new sectors of YouTube. Um, but I used to go down there and I would choose purposely to fly in and out of, out of Long Beach because it was such a small and lovely airport. And I think Alex and yeah. you have talked about it in depth, yeah. but um, that was my, my go to LAX, terrible. But Boston for me, if you're flying out of, um, uh, on United and Delta, I think it's Delta, um, just have the worst terminal setups. Their new terminal uh, Boston and the international terminal are fine, but a lot of their domestic setup is just awful. 
It's interesting. I mean, I, I'll go now and then I'll, I'll go through the article because there was an article in The Economist talking about the worst airports in the world, which I'll get to in a minute. But what you just mentioned reminded me something. It's in Europe and Asia, most of the airports are privatized, so fully private. Or sometimes in Europe and some in Asia as well, you know, half-half or like some kind of equity a share uh, where there's a licensee that runs the airport. In the U.S., a lot of them are still actually under a public control. The reason is that's important is that it actually changes the dynamic of the airport. What do you want to do with the airport? And when it's privatized, you want to make a shitloads of money, basically. Mm-hmm. So meaning that you invest in the the experience of the shopping experience, for instance. There's a reason. Uh, let's take. I know I live in uh, in London, so I talk about Heathrow a lot. But I'm sure that a lot of our listeners, wherever they are in the world, will actually understand that. If you are in an airport that doesn't show you the gate at which your flight is supposed to be less than 30 minutes before its uh, boarding time, which is, you know, London will say only 30 minutes, no matter if the plane has been staying all night in front of the gate, only 30 minutes before the the boarding time will you know the gate the gate number why because they want you to stay in the middle and shop mm. <laughs> when you have airports that were built simply as bus terminals like a lot of the airports in the US because the US has been very early in developing airports well that's why they look like nothing because the the, the idea was especially pre 911 security levels you go there you board and you leave you didn't stay there right you might just have to take in a coffee or something mm-hmm. the other thing also that's interesting talking about that is to see pre and, and post security uh, again, I'm going to take the example uh, of Heathrow, but other airports, you, you'll see that. Again, travelers, think about it next time you're in an airport. The check-in areas of older airports are massive because people couldn't check online, whatever. So you had to queue and you know give your luggage and whatever, especially at international airports. T5 is an example that this huge hall when you can actually you know check in is half empty because times have changed. And now... Most recent airports and recent terminals are built in a very small check-in area and a very big waiting area, airside, because that's where you're going to, you know, after security, you're going to wait and wait and wait. And that's how the airport is going to make money. So it influences, I think, our perception of airports. Yeah. But that's why these the Hong Kongs and, and Incheon like, look like shopping malls, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and I'll, I'll come to that when we talk about Boston in depth, but that kind of makes m- much more sense as to why specific terminals, especially the domestic ones, are so terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I fly so. to Denver a lot and um, Denver – to your point about small check-in areas. Yeah, fairly small check-in area. And then they have this holding pit. They have one centralized building and then that everyone processes through, like your security, and then you shuttle out to your individual terminals. So the entire population of the airport goes through the same security. And it's like, it's nicer than this, but it makes me think of what coming to Ellis Island in the 1910s in New York was like just thousands of depressed people trudging through this giant hall with the American flag above you. (laughs) (laughs) So to the article, The Economist, uh, let's not have too much uh, about it. It's always fun to talk about, you know, the perception of what's the worst airport is, of course, the airports you fly to, the airports you're experiencing. There's a few names that always come. Strangely enough, Charles de Gaulle Paris does not show up in this article. Alex and me really don't like Charles de Gaulle at all. That's why we, and I say that in every episode, we've been avoiding to discuss about it because we'd be very harsh on it. They they mentioned a few. One is, of course, uh, Manila, and I used to live there, and they say... They don't mention the fact that it's a bad airport because of the terminal. They say it's a bad terminal because of uh, the corruption. Uh, I mean, Manila has been kind of sorted out, but there was an era where 
the <laughs> ground handling, and sorry, it's not you, no. Bill, would actually, upon you landing, would add something into your bag because they were friends with the customs. Customs will arrest you, say, what is this? And expect like a bribe to basically remove them and then you would be cleared. If you if you were unwilling, of course, to give a bribe, which they, they would have split with the person who had added that uh, item into your bag, then of course you would have real trouble because they even added bullets like wow. live ammunition into... Yeah, that's, so that's insane. I'm not sure what the statute of limitation is on this and so I'll be somewhat vague. Um, but last <laughs> time I was in the Philippines... Um, Let's just say money passed hands for me to be able to pass through immigration easily um, because uh, I'm sure you know the Philippines love their chicken. They love their pork. Not a massive beef country. And so sure. I was in Hong Kong and let's just say um, a larger than okay amount of beef with dry ice was with me and I didn't want to deal with immigration so much. Uh, I went through the processes, but a very nice immigration man helped, helped me go a little faster than I should have. That's still the case. Uh, I'm not condoning it. I, th- I, th- I think I said it in a few episodes ago that you know I fast tracked myself through the terminal yep. because we have you know pre terminal entrance security mm-hmm. and I fast tracked myself by giving a little handout. So and I, but I do not condone that. But yes, it happens a yes, lot. Yes, it does. Actually. It's still it, that's still this. But at least that I mean. I'm not excusing it, but compared to somebody adding something in your piece yeah, of luggage to then make you have a, that's really bad. The, uh, the, the article says that Delhi is also really bad. And they say why, and that's very interesting. They say, <laughs> since we know that a lot of the jobs will be taken away by automation, mm-hmm. like immigration officers, you have now machine, more and more airports of like e-gates, et cetera, et cetera. You have a lot of airports where the current staff will be almost harassing you because they want to justify their job. So they will be very busy into checking your boarding pass 25 times through the process because each of them wants to justify that, yes, we need people, a machine will not be enough. And that sounded somewhat true sometimes. I'm like, yeah, well, that's this step is really unnecessary, but they still do it maybe just to give, you know, maybe not in the US though. But No, I think I remember my dad telling me about this saying in Angola, he, when he got brought in to sort of fix their air, one of their airlines, um, he was like, okay, let's improve efficiency. And he said, I want to, you know, remove the, these amount of people because they're not really doing anything. I want to downsize it, make it more efficient. Then he gets a phone call from the government saying, I ran on uh, new jobs. You can't get rid of those people. You can't get rid of those positions. You know, that's definitely people trying to make sure that it was uh, uh, seeming like they were busy to maintain their jobs. Yeah. And it's sometimes policies coming back to Manila. It's not the airport, but when I was living there, you could see in some of the big shopping malls, if you go to the cashier where you would pay your things, you'd have at least five people. One person would take your thing, give it to the other person, which would scan it to the machine. The third person would actually input the number in the machine. The fourth person would actually hand you the cash back and the fifth person actually bag it for you. <laughs> and uh, you, I mean, it's totally inefficient, but it was a way, of course, to give jobs to the poor population. But, you know, there's, it's always, uh, there's two sides. I mean, I understand the will, the willingness of giving jobs. I'm not sure it actually helps a lot, but I mean, of course. Anyway, back to, because you said you might have taken some beef into Manila. There's an airport you should avoid then, Santiago, Santiago yep. of Chile. They're very, very strict about food imports, like Australia mm-hmm. and other airports are. And I'm just going to read out here, uh, but the author said, I once got detained for two hours for failing to declare an unopened sealed bag of almonds. I then had to write a declaration expressing my contrition for bringing the nuts. When I failed to do so without cracking up, I was threatened with arrest. <laughs> the lady next to me was being interrogated for smuggling in a lone banana. 
So this is not an airport for you, uh, Will, nor for Alex, because you love your. I was going to say, um, a good thing it was only almonds, not Brazil nuts, because they wouldn't be happy about that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, they go on for a lot of airports. Uh, I'm just going to give a little shout out to a friend of mine, Eric. Eric's a French ex-military, works now for United Nations. He's actually in the DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo. And uh, yeah, he always tells me, guys, when you talk about worst airports, have you ever been to Bangui in uh, Central African Republic or Lubumbashi where he's saying these airports? And I'm like, yeah, fine. Obviously, I'm sure. So the article takes an interesting stance. It says, okay, remove all these airports because we know that most of them are because they're old or corrupt. They might be good. Let's take only the the income per, so the GDP per capita and adjusted for a national income per head, several busy American airports will all be contenders for worse in the world. And uh, the author says that Washington Dallas as the worst design ground transport. Yep. <laughs> I haven't been in Dallas for 22 years so i wouldn't be but you said you know i've been there i was there about two years ago for a wedding and and um my my only bad experience i mean it's not the greatest airport in the world but my bad experience also was kind of virgin america's fault maybe also maybe my fault uh we booked uh round trip flights san francisco to washington dc did not notice that the inbound flight was to Dulles and the outbound flight was Ronald Reagan. Is that the other one? Uh, so there's two, there's two DC airports. Yep. And so we, yeah, yeah, yeah. after the wedding, very, very, very hungover, drove back to the airport that we thought <laughs> we were flying out of only to try to scan our boarding passes and be told uh, you're at the wrong airport have to jump in an Uber and drive across the city. And here's the thing. The Uber driver knew exactly what happened, that this happened so frequently that you think Shit. that someone would wow. be like, maybe we shouldn't do this. But Dallas, Dallas is one of those <laughs> big, giant behemoths of an airport that hasn't got their stuff together like an Atlanta has. Although Atlanta just had this massive issue stranding thousands upon yep. thousands of people. But oh. that's rare for them. They are usually pretty yeah. on top of their game. The author goes on talking about JFK. You know, New York is supposedly one of the world's capital for shopping and JFK mm-hmm. has nothing. But uh, the one that they crown as being the worst in the world is Miami. Which is strange because <laughs> I've, I've never been, I mean, I may have been to Miami when I was very, very young and don't remember it, but I have not gone there as an adult traveler. But a friend of mine lives, his family lives out there and he's out there every six months and he never really talks about how terrible it is. I think the reason is the author is not US-based international traveler, so probably commutes through. You know, if you want to go to Latin America, you usually commute a lot through Miami. It's one of these airports when you take layovers to go to South America. And if you don't have a US passport, it gets worse because, and that's one of the intricacies of the mm-hmm. US system, and I'm not here to bash the US, is <laughs> like, I'm doing a layover in Miami because I want to go from, say, London to Santiago de Chile, which we just mentioned, and I'm using one of the U.S. airlines. All the airports in the world, whether it's, I don't know, uh, Hong Kong, Singapore, and okay, these guys are know how to do layovers because that's their specialty, but all the other airports in the world, you don't have to immigrate within the country. At Miami, you have to do as if I were to enter the U.S., but I'm not entering the U.S. because I'm just transiting to another international mm-hmm. flight, then do it again to enter. It makes no sense. And that's probably why the author said that, because it's it, 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 for us, it makes no sense to, we're not going to the U.S. 
we're going to Santiago de Chile, right? Yeah, and and I've seen so many lists where the U.S. aviation system stands. It's almost like its own um, echo chamber. Um, so you can rank it. And I have friends that have never traveled abroad, and they're like, "Oh yeah, Miami or JFK, they're great." Why are you bashing them constantly? I'm like. Have you ever been to um, Changi? Have you ever been to yeah, you know uh, yeah. uh, Tokyo? Have you ever been to Hong Kong? No. <laughs> like okay, then go to those places and then like rank again your experiences in the U.S. Well, do you give me the perfect transition? Uh, since we just talk about New York and you talk about great airports, great experience. We mentioned that with Alex, uh, I think two episodes ago. The new Emirates uh, first class is fancy, like single room with mm-hmm. a ceiling high door I and mean, crazy i don't know if you had any interaction with him when you were doing the work you were doing but casey neistat mm-hmm. did uh, a video a vlog of him boarding and he did clearly it was brussels to dubai because as we said this plane is only from geneva to dubai and brussels to dubai and eve of course filmed the whole thing and yet yeah, that sound that looks pretty cool i know I, I i i don't know if i'll ever have enough points in the world to make that happen <laughs> neither to be honest i looked at you know i looked at it because as uh, as you might know well you know my hometown is geneva so i said okay i'm going to be in geneva in a, a few weeks so i said uh, if i need to go to to dubai or elsewhere in asia i might just take off from geneva and i was looking at upgrading myself etc no come on it's it's crazy i i might not have the chance to do it very soon i'll I'll try though if guys you live in london emirates just announced that they will start flying from stansted which for me is baffling because stansted for me is the hope of Ryanair. yeah (laughs) they will fly from stansted with the triple seven, so you will have that fancy, super fancy, super first that they've just introduced from London Stansted. It's about two and a half hours from where I live. You know, London is a big city, so I'm not sure it makes sense to me, but I'll think about it. To be honest, yeah, I wish I could think that one. Um, well, what do you use to uh, book your flights? You use any OTAs? Any preference? Or- Nine times out of ten, I will be uh, using uh, a Google Flight Matrix just to find out what's going on, and then and then double check I can book it through the individual airlines themselves. But no, that Google is. Google Flight Matrix is where I spend most of my time. Well, thank you, because I was just about to say, I have to talk about Google Flights, <laughs> so, which is also the one I kind of kind of defaulted to. I mean, of course, I use Matrix to do very strange routings and find great pricing and stuff, but Google Flights is the very visual, and you can actually book. I mean, it's easier to book from Google Flights. Mm-hmm. Uh, the links, they're deep linking from Google Flights. They've just introduced a new uh, version of it. It's when you go there, google.com slash flights, uh, it might not appear, but on, on the right-hand side, it'll say, do you want to try the new version? Try it. It's actually pretty cool. The, the way they display the information is better. And they've introduced even smarter algorithms that will tell you, you know, that flight historically will actually drop by 20% tomorrow or more often than not, you know, in three days all data shows that this flight will increase by 15%. So, and it's not the booking.com and I love booking.com type of like, this is our last room. Please, <laughs> you have to click and book now. This is more like historical data to be used. That's actually very useful, I think, to make a better decision about when to book your flight. Uh, because I, I'm a very last minute, I'm very, I'm very bad. I'm very last minute. 
And at least I have this kind of sense of data that now for years that Google has as as at uh, ATA is able to provide you with. And I think it's very interesting. Yeah, and I just love that Google has the ability for me to track and it will build this graph for me for the length of yeah. time that I have been tracking it um, so that I can even pull out my own, you know, analysis of the data myself if I don't trust, you know, what I'm seeing or if, if uh, airline gets wise to it. The, there's these articles that say uh, domestically it's it's – three to four weeks before um, your flying time. And then internationally, mm-hmm. it's like six to eight weeks. But, you know, I, I've got some... Your mileage may vary. Yeah, yeah I've, got, I've got some international flights coming up probably in the summertime that I'll be taking advantage of the fact that Norwegian, I don't necessarily think has been following this this sort of path as as rigorously as every other airline just because they're new and they're still bringing on new planes but oakland to london they're doing you know a lot um and that's something i'll probably be doing in the summertime as well so have you flown them already no i haven't Uh, my mom flies them constantly when she like that's her her go-to now for flying out to the u.s because oakland's much closer to where we live than san francisco um but the 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 fact that the weird American loophole law about having to have a hub uh, in the U.S. Um, and now, so my my fam my wife's family is technically closer to Rhode Island than it is to Logan. You know, they're thinking about coming out to Europe as well, and they're like, "I'm just going to go to to Rhode Island and fly Norwegian directly to England because nobody flies out of Rhode Island." So. <laughs> I'll be interested to yeah. see what their experience is like, but I'm also very, very eager to see what Norwegian is going to be like as well. Look, I've taken them only once. It was from uh, JFK actually to uh, to Gatwick, and I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Uh, of course, I was in uh, the premium economy. It's not the business. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, slightly larger seats, and you have a little bit more recline, and actually not a lot more of uh, leg room. I mean, of course, a, li- a little bit more, but I took the front row, row mm-hmm. one, and I had, of course, a lot of leg room, I mean, more leg room that I could uh, use. And, and I like the, I like, you know, it's reminiscent of probably a Southwest in the US, a mix of Southwest and JetBlue, but with a low cost factor in, you know, like the, the, the crew was super nice, you know, engaging and they know it's a low cost, mm-hmm. the offering, but it's, you know, you know, you, you get what you pay for. It's not like your expectations are set. They're not, I'm not saying they're low. I'm saying they're easygoing and it actually the product is that and I, I for the moment actually most of the f- friends of mine who have flown it actually have had great experiences they reviewed it i said you know what you know i paid like about 200 pounds to go to the us uh, yeah that calculates to what 300 dollars one way it's nothing compared to four thousand with united or exactly. something so that's just and, and it's not it's great paul it's great. you'll you'll relate to this the my friend who's flying in from toronto in a few hours is six six um and uh air canada is basically the only one that flies this and they basically charge you an arm and a leg and their product isn't very good although their triple seven that we flew from toronto to london a couple of years ago was phenomenal but their domestic stuff when they kind of count canada and the u.s as domestic I'm pretty sure that I'll have to crack his back the moment he gets here because he'll be doubled over <laughs> on an Air Canada flight. So I, 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 I'm I'm glad to hear that you were able to fit into a Norwegian flight seat. <laughs> do Do you do a transcon in the US at all uh, currently? Or I mean, yeah, I do it. I do it probably two, three times a year. But nowadays, since Virgin now is Alaska, I mean, the brand hasn't gone away. Is it still your airline of choice or is it depending on the price? Or? No. And Alex made a good point about this a couple couple weeks ago, just because emotionally he finds it difficult. Yeah, But yeah, um, they, and I, I fly Alaska a lot because I'm a Portland Timbers um, soccer fan and we go up to Portland a lot uh, to watch games. Awesome. Um, 
and we go to Seattle to watch games up there because that's our big rival, the Sounders. Um, and so Alaska is their the the the, the airline of choice, and to the point where Portland Timber shirt sponsor is Alaskan Airlines. Oh wow! Okay. And if you if you wear your jersey, you get to board first. No uh, way! It, <laughs> that's yeah. awesome because <laughs> it's because it's part of the sponsorship deal. Um, <laughs> but, wow! So they're a solid airline. However, since the last few weeks, the what's the word I'm looking for? Attention to detail and pride in the work of the Virgin America staff seems to have waned a little bit, and yeah. it's not that. Old. I mean, the product's exactly the same, but the um, the soft product, the people, I feel like has has fallen a little bit, which is understandable when you have no idea what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Morale yeah, right. is pretty yeah. low. Um, JetBlue has been my go to for for East Coast travel. Um, recently, Alex did their mint product when we did the PMC bike ride over the summer and he loved it. But yeah, those two are my, my go-tos, Virgin and, and JetBlue. I haven't flown JetBlue ever and uh, everybody always raves about it, whether you're, you don't have to be mint, even like it's it's a great product that I really want to try it. But mm-hmm. you know what? I haven't been to the West Coast of the US in forever. I'm not going to state the number because people are going to crucify me otherwise. <laughs> uh, but I promise you will, you will know when I'm coming because <laughs> Apparently you're a great cook, so I wanna I wanna know about that. Um, last bit of news before we go to to Boston, uh, just because uh, it's it's Christmas Eve. I, w- I was supposed to tell it and I forgot actually. Uh, it's a kind of a little uh, elbow thing to uh, Charles de Gaulle again, Paris, the one dude that neither Alex and I really love. Uh, there was this homeless man that was uh, not, of course, not hair side. He was uh, landslide and. Uh, you know, you know, sad story. The homeless man is there and living basically throughout the year there. And uh, whilst he was scavenging the, the trash, he was leaning on a door. The door opened. Somebody has, had forgotten to lock the door. He ended up being uh, actually in a security company called Loomis. They actually, you know, carry cash around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he found two bags and left with the two bags just, you know, on Christmas Day. And there was 300,000 euros there and never to be seen again. So Merry <laughs> Christmas to that oldest man and Charles de Gaulle get your hack together. <laughs> that is insane. <laughs> anyway, so Boston, love, hate. I don't know where you want to start with the love <laughs> or the hate part. So I, maybe I'll touch upon the fact that you just provided me some information that, that now makes a lot more sense. So Terminal B is set up in a horseshoe. And so you have Terminal B1 and Terminal B2. And it's separated by a parking lot. Like basically it's a two-story and then in the middle, you got um, departures, second floor, arrivals on, on the first floor. And... It's mainly United, American, Delta, Virgin America's in there as well for the domestic side. Not Virgin America, but you know, all those other guys. And the thing that drives me nuts about it is that the (laughs) air side, no, sorry, the land side before check-in, between you walking in through the, you know, the doors to the security, it's a very, very long and skinny. It's probably about 25 feet. So basically you have this, these people lining up in security and they're taking (laughs) up the entire corridor and it's insane. So if you get certain parts of it, United, you go through and there's a little bit on the other side, but for Virgin America, I'm warning you now, if you're flying (laughs) from Boston and you're flying Virgin America, do not go through check-in until the last possible moment. And I was like, well, that's why. It's because once you go through Virgin America check-in and um, security, they have their own security, you are in probably 
a 20 meter by 30 meter room and there is nothing in there. It's wow. a holding cell. And then they got their own two, two gates there and that's it. There's literally nothing in there besides, I think there's maybe a dunk. No, no, there's not even a Dunkin' Donuts, which is insane <laughs> because the entire Boston runs on Dunkin'. But, um, <laughs> but yes, there, that airport. So there, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the pro side of Boston, um, Logan International is that it is the closest international airport to the city than any airport I've ever flown to. It's, it's even better than Lucy um, wow. because you can see it from downtown. You can drive there in about 10 minutes from downtown. It's I think it's yeah. five miles from, from the center of, of the city. Unfortunately, it is surrounded by toll roads. So Ubers oh. and taxis are crazy expensive um, and they haven't really figured out the public transportation. You have to take this thing called uh, the Silver Line, which is one of those buses that are also connected to the wires, and it goes into a tunnel as well. And as Alex mentioned in the attache episode, it's the man bear pig of uh, of, in, <laughs> of, of uh, airport travel. It's the, the airport is falling apart, and in certain areas, and oh, they're wow. redoing it. And their security. Let me put it this way: We flew back from Boston Christmas before last, and my wife got a um, snow globe as like a as like a present for you know for from her family, and she completely forgot that it was in her hand luggage. What's in the middle of a snow globe? About you know a pint of water. Yeah. They didn't even notice. We went all the way oh through my. security and they didn't even notice. And she was terrified that she was going to have to throw it away. Real lapse in security there. Um, but overall, it, it, it's, a, it's a convenient airport. Um, if you don't want to fly to New York, it's only an hour and a half, two hours drive away. It, the hilarious thing is that I, I was looking it up on, on Wikipedia as far as what the hubs are. Uh, let me know if you've ever heard of any of these airlines, uh, Paul. <laughs> Hold on or, or quick here. Okay, so it's the hub for Cape Air. No, because it's Cape Cod and it flies between like oh. all that area. Uh, it is a hub for Delta, so obviously okay, you know that. that yeah. And then Penn Air, which I'd never heard of as well. Who's that? Penn and Teller? I, mean, no, I don't know. I, I don't know. It it's, uh, it seems to <laughs> oh, fly. Wow. Oh, it's, that's weird. It's headquartered in Alaska, but uh, it's a hub. It only has twenty planes. And oh yes, it's very small. Very very okay. small. But they also are a focus city for. Azores, the Azores Island uh, airline. Sorry, oh. so there Boston has a huge Portuguese population, but it's not Community, Portugal yeah, yeah. Portuguese. It's Azorians, yeah. and so um, it, there's some great food. But um, they fly yeah, oh, yeah. one of the largest <laughs> hubs, I would say, probably besides um, Lisbon or Porto, is is, is wow. Boston. But it, it's it's a decent airport and. For layovers, there's a million airports all around it and you're right downtown. So it is fantastic. Yeah. So you can get out if you have like a couple hour layover and at least see something. And Boston is a very walkable city. If you can get in an Uber and not balk at the, how expensive the Uber is, it's it's great. So it's a terrible airport, but at least it's close to things. So you don't have to spend time there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great to say. To, to your point, uh, just a parenthesis here, but to your point about the very small area for Virgin America, maybe other airlines in Boston and other airports, guys, you can always hit, hit, hit us up on, on layovers and Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. Adding to what I was saying before, it used to be, and it's changed now mostly, but it used to be, and maybe Boston, and I have no idea, but maybe Boston is still the case, it used to be that the airline would actually pay rent for the space in front of the gate. Huh. So airlines were trying to have as little space as possible because, of course, there's a cost. It's a fixed cost mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't want to bear, which is why you have so many airports that are built with 
really bad gates areas because they're like you know it, it makes sense to have a at least you know line for I don't know whether it's premium or whatever or multiple lines to accommodate everyone and sometimes you seem it seems that it's like everybody on the gate because like there's no organization because there's no room to organize anything it's that's it's usually it's a legacy from older times because now they have new systems of uh, they share the rent of or the cost of the airports not because of the gate but because of the number of flights they have mm-hmm. which is fairer that's simply the gate area but that's that's maybe the reason yeah. or maybe just legacy because there was no other room yeah but maybe the reason that, that whoever had that first didn't want to pay for anything and said okay let's have the smallest area possible yeah it really feels like they cleared too. out a broom closet to uh when virgin america <laughs> launched there so I'll, I'll see once once Virgin decides what they're doing with the brand, uh, if they just shut it down and, and move it over to where Alaska flies out of, because that might just be a nicer experience for everybody. Do you have any next flights coming up? I don't know how, how much you fly. Actually. Yeah. I mean, you kind of hinted at it. Honestly, I'm flying yeah. to Denver on next Tuesday. So not 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 in two days' time, but in a week in two days' time. Is it a good airport? Denver, Denver, Denver is very, very yeah. good. It's a hub for somebody, and I'm drawing a blank. Um, but it, I find it, it's, it's easy to get to, it's on the outskirts of town. Um, and I'm so used to London or, or other major cities where it's just like, I look at a map and be like, oh, wow, it's really far out of town. But Denver is one of those really densely laid out cities that then all of a sudden you're in the middle of nowhere, five minutes outside of the downtown area. And it's a bit like Portland as well. Um, and so it only takes like 15 minutes to get 20 minutes to get from oh, de- from the airport downtown. That's great. Um, so yeah, I'll be out there for about a week. Um, uh, I'm trying to have, and the, where my offices are, there's actually a small private airport there right next to the airport. Oh. Uh, or our office in Broomfield. And that's where a lot of people get their licenses. There's also a, a aviation and engineering school right there as well. Wow. Um, wow. I do want to get down to Centennial Field, which is on the southeast of of Denver. And that's where um, Boom is based. You know. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of yeah course. So that's yeah, where they're the based. And so I want to go check them oh. out. Um, when I have a little bit more free time, so see if I can go see some supersonic planes taking off. Okay, you you'll be back on the show then because <laughs> we want to know about that. exactly. Um, but that's the only flight I have that. right now. I'm sure I'll have some more. Um, just because of the the work I'm doing, uh, Seattle, LA, and Austin are quite common for me. So um, I'm sure I'll okay. be doing those in the next uh, few months. Yeah, well, we'll we'll, we'll get you back. I mean. First of all, I don't know when Alex is coming up because he's taking a little bit of mm-hmm. leave, uh, of course, to take care of his family uh, so that you guys know. And Alex, you also are learning that because you're probably listening to that when it's on. <laughs> as long as you're not there, I'm going to invite other people to do like this. I wanted the first to be well because it makes so much sense. Uh, so I might have other people uh, that are already kind of lined up because I, I want we want Alex to be taking care of Deanne and, and, and the kids. And of course, Juno. 1880 was it? Yeah, I'll, I'll double check and I'll tweet it back out at you guys. But uh, according <laughs> to my mom, it's 1880 was the last time, or roughly wow. around that time, the last time a girl was born into the hunters. That's insane. So, well, come on, again, congratulations, Alex. You you did a, <laughs> something historical for the hunter family. Well, now 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 maybe you know, will the the, the pressure is on you actually? To exactly. My wife is thinking that the curse has been broken and now everyone's going to have girls. <laughs> exactly. And uh, this was not guys because we had uh, people asking, begging us for a layovers 
slash uh, Mastication Nation episode. This was no. not it. <laughs> we will do one. We will talk about food at some point down the line. This was not the one. Of course, we want Alex to be there. He's, he's, and you guys are so much better at food than <laughs> I am. You know, I'm a very, I, I listen to your podcast with such admiration. Uh, I'll put as well the link in the show notes for Mastication Nation. It's episode 11 now. What was the last one? What were you talking about? Yeah, so J- Jam was 11. And so we have we're, we have K coming up. And at, at some point, you know, we'll figure out when we do that. Um, but for say that we, it's highly likely that, you know, L is, 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 is makes sense for a layover um, crossover. Be, yeah. <laughs> um, so feel free to tweet any of the three of us or our individual um, Twitter handles. Ours is mastication.ntn um, on any specifics you want us to talk about. Um, the thing that I sort of wanted to dive into is more the the, the science of eating in altitude and, and how yep. there's so much Same. bad science out there. Um, <laughs> I've, I, I read like four or five articles saying different things. And the only one I can trust is the World Health Organization. So, um, <laughs> so you know, we'll dive into that. We'll dive into from your perspective, who the best airlines are as far as uh, as far as food. Alex will probably uh, regale us about his um you know, Chateau Neuf de Pap that he had on uh, Emirates or whatever it was <laughs> that he was drinking. Um, and, and then exactly. do a little bit more on, uh, you know, the experience in the 1950s where you would have your foie gras and your sparkling champagne while smoking your cigar in a, a more genteel air age of flying. So, um, flying, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tweet us if you have any, any questions or any ideas that you want us to talk about. Exactly. I'll put all the links, all our Twitter handles, Facebook pages, SoundCloud, a- Apple Podcasts, because nowadays, and I'm, I'm an old fashioned guy. I still call that iTunes, but apparently the new term is Apple Podcasts mm-hmm. and all the other links from, of course, Mastication Nation. You guys know the ones from Layovers, but I put them there. Layovers.2 is where you find all this information. We're recording today again, Sunday, January 7th, uh, 2018. And I aim to release that within the next 24 hours so that Alex gets a surprise. (laughs) Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Paul. Hopefully, I was able to step into some uh, rather large shoes. You know, little brother, but more than compensated (laughs) for Alex's absence. Alex, please take three months off. It's fine. I have Will. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Safe travels, guys. Thanks. 